Your mission, listener, should you choose to accept it, is to absorb the insights and advice from this episode of CMO Convo and use them to enhance your approach to marketing and leadership. If the advice works, CMO Alliance certainly won't disavow your existence. This podcast won't self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, listener. And the insights and advice are well worth listening to today as Michelle Peterson, CMO of Kendra Scott, shares her fantastic approach that leverages people-focused marketing stories and experiences to drive sales and create lifelong devoted customers. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to CMO Convo. How are you doing today? Thanks. Well, good to see you. I'm great. Oh, well, it's great to have you here because it's one of those almost eternal topics for CMOs that battle between storytelling, performance-driven marketing, people first or data first. And I'm really excited to get into that conversation with you, uh, with you, Michelle, because you're representing a B2C brand, which we haven't had much on the show. And it's one that I want to explore a lot more, particularly in this kind of field. So before we do get started on that, maybe you could tell us a bit about the company you represent and why this topic was so important that you wanted to talk about today. Yeah, fantastic. So as you mentioned, I'm the um, CMO of Kendra Scott, and it is just a fantastic lifestyle brand with absolutely amazing stories. And our role in marketing is to capture those stories and also drive the business at the same time. So it's why I'm I'm passionate about that here and in all my roles. Um, my passion for it actually, I think, started early on, not just in my career, but um, in my life. I grew up in a really big Italian family, and um, my dad was an engineer and then worked in New York on a hedge fund. So he was super analytical, um, a big networker. So he always sort of talked to us about business, but he approached it from a very analytical math point of view. Um, and my mom was a creative visionary and a leader and really brought that creativity to us. And I sort of saw that both of those things could live together. I was an engineer in college, but took all my electives in psychology because I was sort of obsessed with like, why do people make the decisions that they make? But I loved math. And that to me is sort of the part of running the business. When I was in business school, I had an, I got an MBA as well as a master's in engineering management because I just like never saw creativity and analytics as, again, being two separate pieces. To me, they uh, live together. And in my world now, they live together to drive a brand and drive the consumer. So that's why uh, that's an important topic for me. Fantastic. It sounds like you've almost had the, the, the marketing the gene coded into you from the outset. You've got that analytical side and that creative side coming from both parents. Yeah, I always say I always knew what I wanted to do. I, my parents sent me to Cornell one summer when I was in high school, and I took an engineering class and a psychology class, and they were like, oh, my God, those things don't relate. You were completely lost. <laughs> like, What are you going to do in your career? And I went on to do engineering before I got my MBA. But I think, I again, like I always knew that I love sort of the marketing and general management, which is the General Mills way of building marketers that in terms of general management, you run the full P&L, you understand the P&L, you know how to drive productivity from a business. And in terms of the creativity, you run the top line and the marketing ideas and, um, and the innovation behind the business. I eventually found that, but I always knew that I loved both those things. Awesome. Awesome. And great setup for sort of the topic that we're talking about today, which is kind of when that creativity and that analytical side really meet and why that's important for CMOs. 
Um, let's sort of, and this is going to sound very basic to a lot of our audience and probably to you as well, Michelle, but let's start by really sort of defining the terms that we're talking about today. So people first storytelling, what do we mean by that in the context of marketing? Mm -hmm. What, what I mean by that in the context of marketing is um, almost the trend behind uh, purpose-driven brands that for people first storytelling, our ultimate goal is to have the consumer lead the way and for us to connect and develop relationships with the consumer by telling the story of the brand. Um, and I've been on many brands that have amazing stories. No brand has stories like Kendra Scott. It is like everywhere in the history and the experience and the way the retail location is set up there are stories everywhere and i think we all know like we connect with stories as people and and probably some of our best experiences with brands are because those brands told stories that connected with us definitely and you, you described kendra scott as a, as a lifestyle brand it's not just like a, a jewelry store or something like that's a lifestyle brand and that, that means those stories are going to be incredibly important to that aspect of it like like you are selling a story that other people can connect with and can also work towards and vision for themselves kind of thing. Yeah, it's true. If you look at the way Kendra talks about the business, she wasn't looking to create just a jewelry brand. Like she was looking from the very start to do good in the world. I think long before people were talking about brand purpose, she knew, she knew that her jewelry had, you know, brought differentiation to the market for sure, and that she was bringing something new. But ultimately, the purpose of why she was doing that was to do good in the world. And from the start, she did that, donated, contributed, um, you know, and and wanted to make her communities better. And that is, again, that is like a, a story of our brand that we still do all the time today. Every day we're donating and contributing to our communities. Fantastic. Fantastic. And then performance marketing. I mean, that's, that's pretty bread and butter, but let's define what we mean by performance marketing, the context of this conversation. I actually don't love the word performance marketing because like I tell my team, none of us should be doing not performance marketing. Like we are all in the business of driving sales, but to me, performance marketing is more of that like lower funnel marketing that we can very specifically tie to sales we, we again we think about these two things together we're telling a story that brings the consumer through the journey that then drives sales it's not two separate plans it's not two separate teams it's not two separate terminologies nothing so um we don't use the we don't have a performance marketing team because okay. there aren't people who are driving performance and people who are not. <laughs> that's not how we think about it. Okay, that, that, that's, that's a really interesting way of thinking about it. Yeah, for sure. So I suppose that means that you're sort of leveraging both sides to enhance the other when it comes to your approach. Like, like can you dig into that a little bit more? Yeah, I think um, digging into that through an example would probably help. Um, we do, I think if you looked at our marketing plan externally, you know, other CMOs would say we do a lot of upper funnel marketing and we do a lot of lower funnel marketing. And I, again, I don't separate those two things. So for instance, we do a ton of sponsorships with um, sports sponsorships, the Cowboys, um, Austin FC. We've done some things with the Yankees and the Mets. And 
when when those sponsorships come to you, they're very um, soft at first. You can put a sign here. You can brand X, Y, and Z. And that sponsorship for us is not about communication being up on a sign. It's about connection with the consumer. So we're in those places. We also have a pop-up at the Cowboys. So people actually connect with our jewelry and they purchase. We have different events where we align with um, some of the players. The players come into our stores, raise money for the community. That brings people in, again, to drive sales. So it's not necessarily it's not just an upper funnel communication message. It's a way to connect and drive sales. And um, another example is we sponsored the ACMs, the American Academy of Country Music Awards, a couple months ago. And again, that could be a very just PR driven plan. And the way that plan worked is it was amazing PR, but we also took that PR. We were able to have specific jewelry that the country music stars wore. That jewelry led to our website. There was an omni-channel experience on site and in store, and that drove sales of that product as well as the brand that we were that we were marketing at that time. Um, so again, like it all for us links together and drives performance. Awesome. And so that probably requires a very, very deep understanding of your audience and the people within your community, as you described it. Like, how did you go about identifying these kinds of opportunities to sort of further the, the Kendra Scott story? I think it it requires an understanding of our consumer and also an understanding of where she wants to connect with the brand. And from um, from the early days, this was a retail company. and um, and we drove that connection with our communities through our retail stores. And that always has been a thread of the business. Having, you know, when, when people were talking about, oh, you can't scale events or brick and mortar, you know, it's going to be the end of brick and mortar. We really have always had retail at the center of the business because that's where we can build that connection with our consumer, understand her and meet her where she wants to be. Of course, you know, e-com is an important part of the business and wholesale is an important part of the business, but the, the one-on-one -on -one connection with the consumer started through our retail stores and our sales associates and understanding what she was passionate about and therefore who, who we should sponsor, where in the community we should invest um, based on what her passions were. I suppose it's interesting you talk about sort of like the leaning into the, the brick and mortar side of things because and we hear a lot of things in the UK, and I'm sure it's the same in a lot of parts of the US as well. Sort of like the death of the high street, like the end of like sort of retail areas within cities and stuff. But the brands that have this real like sort of passionate support, they're not going anywhere. The Apple Store isn't going anywhere, for example, and that's because they have this kind of passionate support network. Like people do enjoy going to the stores and sort of experiencing them for themselves, being there. Is that kind of the outlook that you were thinking about when it came to Kendra Scott? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was pre-pandemic, the outlook that Kendra had from, you know, 10, 12 years ago when we opened our first retail store. But I think post-pandemic, we were set up for success because there has been a pressure both on e-com as well as retail. I mean, gone are the days you have to go to a retail store to get a product, right? I can access that anywhere, any time of the day 
on e-com. So I don't need that. It's put pressure on the retail store to be an experience. And that has always been the foundation of this brand. So um, on, even on days we're not having an event, the color bar in our stores is an experience. You know, I bring my um, kids to the color bar probably way too much, but they can, you know, pick a, a stone that they love. We can all make the same jewelry. We can make like the same, but slightly different jewelry. And it's such an experience that you can't do online. I bring my kids, I bring their friends. Like it's just this amazing experience. Um, we launched a, yellow, a brand called Yellow Rose about eight months ago. And the core of that brand was delivering an experience. We don't put it like on a shelf in our Kendra Scott stores. Um, we always, that brand always comes to life as an experience. We had a pop-up in um, Soho in New York and you could do hat customization. Um, you can, you know, experience the different jewelry. You can experience Kendra's ranch story. And that, like you said, drives people to want to come to the store and connect. And then our team runs about 22,000 events throughout the year. So there's almost always an event in store that is even more connecting with the consumer. Wonderful. So it's turning the store experience into almost like a narrative in itself. It's a story that people go and are part of and also telling their own story and the experience with the brand. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Our our um, head of retail, Colleen Wilson, who's fantastic, always says our like treat our retail stores like an event space. And and that's true. You know, people have bridal parties there. People have birthdays there. We're celebrating things in the community. It's not um, and it never was, but it's not a store where you just come to get jewelry. So how, how do you sort of measure that? I mean, obviously, ultimate success is driving sales, but how do you sort of measure the success of these kind of people focused activities? Well, what um, what is helpful to us is because we don't just think about it as you know, upper funnel that maybe long-term drives brand awareness, we can actually measure sales and we can measure traffic. The, the key priority of the team that I run, which is called the Brand X team, it has uh, marketing, creative, regional marketing, e-commerce. The key priority of that team is driving traffic to all of our channels. And that's the filter through which we put all of our marketing, whether it's events, pop-ups, sponsorships, influencers, social content, all of those things on this brand drive the business and drive traffic. Like I remember when we had to uh, justify things like social media because it was probably brand building, even though it didn't really drive the business. And that's not the case with this brand. A third of our traffic from the website comes from the work that our social team does every day to keep this brand relevant on TikTok, on Instagram, and it delivers to the business. Because again, we don't have teams who aren't working on non-performance marketing. And then those kinds of social media activities, particularly TikTok, they are so important to have sort of people-driven stories within them. Like, do you work with any kind of influencers as part of building those kinds of narratives, that kind of thing? We do. We do work with influencers. Um, I would say the success of uh, our brand team and our social team is that they they connect with culture. And sometimes that's through an influencer. Sometimes that's through a collaboration. We just did the Barbie collaboration, which oh, is fantastic. incredibly hot right now. Yeah. 
Um, sometimes that's with our own brand connecting. Uh, Bama Rush has been a big deal for this brand for a couple of years. And it's because they saw this really trending moment in culture and knew that the brand could have a voice in that conversation. So um, to me, it's much broader than influencers. It's about how the brand connects to those conversations and then the right way to do it. And it could be that we aren't partnering with an influencer, that the brand can be part of that conversation, or it could be that it's product, influencer, content, a variety of things. Awesome. Awesome. So Michelle, when I was, I'm going to, I'm going to give the, the listeners a peek behind the curtain here, but when I was working on the like discussion points for this episode and stuff, I, I included a question about splitting resources, like splitting your budget. And I'm, I'm realizing that doesn't seem like a relevant part of this conversation realistically because you're talking about as if it's intertwined you can't have one without the other you're not splitting your resources it's all the same resources going into the same pool yeah absolutely you know we're a relatively small team so we can be incredibly agile when i think about resources to me it's less about what areas of the marketing plan we're splitting splitting resources around it's more about kind of how we think about our team long-term and short-term. I mean, in addition to driving traffic, the second priority of the team is to drive the business today and the brand for tomorrow. And we always have to be thinking about the brand for tomorrow. So I feel like the prioritization of the team starts with me and my time. And I spend about a third of my time running the business today, a third thinking about the brand for tomorrow, and then a third on people development and culture and and relationships. And I think if I spend my time there, that will, you know, infuse across the team that the team will also spend their time in those different areas. But you're right, upper funnel, lower performance, brand building, we don't necessarily divide it that way. Yeah, fair. Um, I want to circle back to what you mentioned about the sort of um, the people and relationship side of things. So how are you sort of instilling this people first culture into your team? Like what kind of activities do you have with your team to really like get them bought into this way of doing marketing? Yeah, a couple of things. We, we're so lucky to be so close to the consumer through our retail stores. So I'm in our stores weekly, if not a couple of times a week, the team is the same way. We're constantly in our stores. When we make a change, which we do, you know, a bigger change, which we do about once a month or once every other month as a team, we take a tour of our stores and then either other retail stores just to get inspiration or competition. And we come back and, and make, have some pretty clear actions and things we're going to change in the next day or week. Um, so we can make an impact. So we do a lot of that. We spent a lot of time one-on-one with consumers. We had a focus group yesterday on um, an area of the business that we want to expand. And we had vendors come in and consumers come in. And it's just so fun and exciting to develop ideas that way. Um, We have a focus group coming up with Texas consumers. So we do as much grounding with the consumer as we can. And then, you know, we spend a lot of time reviewing the data as well. Today, we were looking at our promotion effectiveness and what that looks like over time based on data. So we also, because again, we're a retail company that has first party data, we analyze a lot of that as well for insights. Awesome. Awesome. So when it comes to the, the, the focus groups, is it 
So do you do them on sort of like a regular basis or is it when you have like a certain mission in mind? As you said, like you had one recently about when you were expanding the business, but do you do sort of like just regular ones like on, on a certain occurrence? Yeah, we do. I mean, we do things on a regular occurrence to get a sense of how consumers are responding to the brand, what, you know, changes and evolutions we want to make in the future. And then we also either fit in specific questions we have or do custom groups based on, you know, we we want to change something in Texas. What would the consumer think about that? Or we're just growing brand awareness in the Northeast. You know how is that working and how do we have to think about the northeast separately um than than we think about other regions of the brand so yes we do we do both we do it very scrappy though which is very different than my uh previous general mills days but i don't know we i think we learn just as good of insights the person who sits next to me is sometimes the moderator sometimes i'm the moderator like we do it super scrappy um but we get amazing insights well, yeah, I think that's an important thing as well. That scrappy approach, letting other people have an experience with these focus groups as well. Like it, it gives you that connection with the customer, with the consumer, yeah. like being involved in these kinds of conversations, like getting it from the horse's mouth is always going to be more valuable than hearing it secondhand. It's so true. Someone told me early in my marketing days, never outsource your ears, which was like, don't have some, like, don't set up a consumer group who's responsible for consumer insights. That's not like everybody needs to be listening to the consumer all the time. A focus group report is not going to do it. And it's true. We were all in the room yesterday asking questions and um, diving into trends so we could all sort of hear it from a different point of view. If it affects the creative, if it affects brand, if it affects PR, we're all around the table gathering those insights. Fantastic. So I love the phrase, out, don't outsource your ears, but I'm going to have to say, like, do you outsource your digital ears? Like, do you use any kind of like social listening tools or anything like that to acquire data? Obviously, you get loads and loads of first party data from your e-commerce store and even from your brick and mortar stores. But what about sort of other kind of tools that you might use to get to know the audience? We we do some of that social listening and social scraping, although I would say even there, we don't, we also don't entirely outsource our ears. You know, my um, lead on customer care, who is, who develops the experience for the consumer and is almost like a secret fourth channel of ours. She's listening to consumers all day long. She and her team are responding to the social comments. Um, same with the social team who's seeing where we're trending. Um, so, you know, we obviously do leverage those tools, but even there, I think that's the brilliance. We are we are connected with the consumer every day. My um, VP of Brown will say all the time, like, and they talk to us. Believe me, they tell us what they think about everything we post. So we we are not unclear where we're connecting and um and you know what content we should do in the future. Definitely. So it sounds like an invaluable resource for the marketing team. All this information you're able to acquire. Does the people first mantra extend to other departments within the business? Like, are you sharing that information with the product team, with other with other departments? And I don't know if you have a custom success team. I don't know if that's relevant to the lifestyle jewelry brands, but yeah, just any other departments out there that you think might be that this information is valuable to when you have it. Yeah, absolutely. We, I mean, as a company principal, 
Kendra and Tom, our CEO, always set up that the customer is our boss. So it's not um, anything new to us. It's not like other roles where as the customer champion, I've sort of had to defend the customer voice is important and we need to pay attention to it. That is woven into this brand and this company um, from the start. I um, I have been able to you know share a lot of the insights and data that that we've brought because I think part of my role is building capabilities in the company. So um, the consumer insights, consumer analytics, that's an important part of this role to communicate it and share it across the company. But people are thirsty for it because again, we know that the customer is our boss. The retail teams know the customer much better than ever anybody because they're, you know, they're on the front lines connecting every day. So, you know, in a, we were talking about regular focus groups. In addition to that, we're, we always have regular discussions with our store managers and our stylists because, you know, they, they see the trends well before anybody does. We were looking at a region in Texas that we have some growth opportunities and um, our DMs and our store managers literally told me what the challenges were. And then we went and did the analysis and it pretty much supported everything they, they said. I mean, they, they see that almost before the data supports it. Wow. Wow. That, that's so do you have sort of regular sit, regular sit downs with the store managers, like every single store manager across the entire country? That sounds like yeah. a lot of work. Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, we have about 130 stores and our merch team um, has a regular cadence of that where we're connecting with the district managers and the store managers to get those insights. And I, yeah. I suppose as well that that process kind of, it helps enhance the bond of your staff as well with the story that you're trying to tell. People first storytelling isn't just about telling your founder's story or your customer's story. It's getting your people bought in on the story that you're trying to tell and having that kind of connection where it feels like they're part of the narrative has got to be a very powerful tool for that kind of thing. It's so true. That's part of actually what brought me to this brand. I live in Atlanta and my Kendra Scott store is the store in Avalon. And well before I worked here, my daughter and I knew the store manager and we knew a few of the stylists there and she knew like, oh, when I bought my pink Elisa, that's who helped me pick it out. And when I broke my pink Elisa, <laughs> this is who, you know, helped replace it in just a second when mom was upset. Um, and so like we have that connection with everybody in the store well before I thought of it as, you know, a company and well before I worked here, it was like, that was my Kendra Scott store. And I think many consumers have that connection. Awesome. Awesome. So Michelle, I'm going to play a little bit devil's advocate here because it sounds like Kendra Scott has this kind of ethos, this people first ethos baked into it. It's very DNA level. A lot of the CMOs who are listening right now, they're not likely to be in a position where that's likely. They possibly in like a B2B SaaS kind of situation where they're getting hammered constantly saying performance, 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 forget these people-driven stories. What kind of advice do you have for CMOs speaking to their stakeholders in those kinds of situations to really like elevate the role of people-first marketing, to really show the value of it? to say their CFO or their CEO who's pushing them to focus mainly on like PPC 100% of the time, all the time kind of thing? Yeah, that's a great question. 
Um, I think, I mean, even in B2B, you're still marketing to people and to humans, right? There's still a, a human and a person who's who's purchasing, who's engaging on the other side of our marketing. So um, I think that's a commonality that we're human first, people first marketers. Uh, the second piece is I also didn't say that we aren't driving performance. Instead, everything that we're doing is driving performance. So when I talk to our CFO, that's what we're both aligned on. Our email sends are driving performance. Our PR efforts are driving performance. Our sponsorships are. And if those things aren't, we're either figuring out ways for them to have a better ROI, we're spending less, we're adding pop-ups, we're making sure we drive traffic, um, or we're not doing them. So I think I think this is really relevant to B2B because it's the same principles. We're still marketing to humans and I'm driving sales. That is ultimately my only goal in this role is to drive sales. You mentioned earlier having quite an agile team. Um, so I suppose having that kind of setup makes it quite easy to pivot between different kind of responsibilities. Mm -hmm. I absolutely, I love that about this size company. And I love that about retail is that, you, I mean, we know what our sales were yesterday and we know if we have to adjust something today, if our messaging wasn't right, if we need to add an event, if the promotion has to be adapted, and we certainly plan ahead and we plan ahead on different options, but we also have the ability to change overnight if we need to for e-commerce and retail. And I love, I absolutely love that balance. It, it, um, it's, it reminds me of my early days in the, in the plant in engineering, when you saw the performance and you could change things immediately. And that's what we that's what we do here. We try not to do that every day because that, that can be exhausting, but we can develop a, a plan immediately and make change. Yeah. I mean, people say variety is the spice of life, but some consistency is nice to cool off with from yes. time to time. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That's awesome. So, Michelle, I think I feel like we've covered quite a lot, a lot of ground here. Let's see if we can pull things together with maybe like your golden rules and how CMOs can really be thinking in sort of this marriage between performance and people for people first marketing. Like, what would you say should be like the main takeaways from this conversation we've had? I think the the main takeaway is almost where we started, which is that as CMOs, we don't really get the choice to separate creative from analytical, from um, big ideas to performance marketing. Our job is to drive sales and again for me to drive traffic by connecting with the consumer and that takes big brand ideas and um and you know search driven marketing working all together to drive that connection and to drive the business and it's much more powerful when those things come together versus they're separate or siloed Fantastic. Thank you very much, Michelle. I, I, this has really opened my eyes and I hope it's opened a lot of other people's eyes, this idea that there shouldn't be a separation between storytelling and brand building and performance marketing. They are all part and parcel of the whole. So thank you very much for your insights today. I really, really appreciate them. Thank you, Michelle. Absolutely. It was great to talk. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you once again. I wouldn't have a show without people like yourself jumping on it. So thank you, Michelle. And thank you much to our audience. I wouldn't have a show without you as well. So thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as I have. We'll be back soon with some more CMO convos. 
like what you heard from this CMO combo, make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a rating so the whole world knows how great it was.